You are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. Welcome to the NBDA's Bicycle Retail Radio podcast. I'm Fred Clements. I'll be hosting today, and I'm with Brett Fleming, the famous Brett Fleming. He is a master mechanic and trainer, has at least 35 years in the bicycle industry, and 15 as a service manager of a multi-store group up in Portland, Oregon. But his roots are farm roots, I believe, Iowa, Brett. And uh, he's also no, owner, not really. owner of Efficient. Huh? <laughs> I was a Navy brat that dad wanted to give the Midwest experience to. So okay. I was hanging around with kids from the Philippines and Guam. And the next thing I know, I'm in Correctionville, Iowa. More on that story <laughs> later. It's not okay. a prison town. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. But I ended up there. So I went through high school onward. Yes. Wonderful experience in the Midwest. Okay. You're owner of Efficient Velo Tools, which is pretty well known in the bike industry, inventor of a number of products available through Efficient Velo Tools, the Easy Lift, uh, the Safe Zone Mirror, the Right Arm of Work Stand uh, Clamp. Right Arm um, Clamp, yeah. Thank you. And I've known Brett for a number of years from seminars he's presented, and really it's a pretty powerful message, a unique message, I think, in terms of service writing to how to turn your service department as a bicycle retailer into something special where, where customers feel welcome and nurtured, and which brings up the concept that I've gathered, uh, Brett, from your past. Aggressive agreeability is uh, something you <laughs> have championed, and I wondered if you might uh, sort of give us a primer on aggressive agreeability. Thanks, Fred. Here's the perspective. I'm speaking if you're a bicycle service professional and even a motorcycle service professional because two-wheeled vehicles have such dynamics that require high interaction. So so we'll take it from that perspective, right? So as a professional mechanic, I was always trying to get hired by everybody that came in the door. And to them, I tried to submit a resume and treat them as if they were the most important person in the world and make a show about it and let them know instantly that they had the entirety of the resources of the company right to Bud Albrecht, who would do anything for them. And when I saw that heart go to every single soul, the person digging cans in the dumpster that needed a flat patch because they couldn't afford the tube, he was right there for them with the same level of dignity and enthusiasm and fairness. And I just copied him. And I get emotional about it because it was fun and important. And people can die. And people have extreme joy. And kids run around on push bikes. Isn't that cool? Two-year-old carbon turns. That's when I finally left retail. Man, that was pretty cool, wasn't it, Fred? That the joy can spread oh, so many different ways now to trikes, to everything. You know, the mountain bike crowd who never want to ride on the road. Fine, I support them. Whatever you want to do. If, if you're into a snooty, you know, $10,000 bike, fine, I support that. If you have no money, I'll support that too with a smile. Because it always works and it's easier if you grease the mechanism with kindness, enthusiasm, and support. And let, let the client know that you really want to help them. And thanks, David Jacks, for that word. When a mentor gives me something great, I copy it. That's all. The thing that was really terrible for me in school is I did ever copy it. I never cheated. And it was really, really hard. And I barely ground through high school, you know, and I did it, though. But in real life, you get mm -hmm. to cheat. You get to say to the customer, how do I get an A on your test? Give me the answers now, and I'll just give them to you if I can, because that's what we're trying to do here with love and enthusiasm <laughs> and fairness. And, and why not? Because you're trading a massive part of your life for money. Jobs are crappy. <laughs> Wouldn't I rather be on my farm 
in any time now because I got myself a little acreage, right? That's more fun than jobbing. <laughs> but why not make the job as fun as you possibly can? And that's what I copied from Bud Albrecht, age 95. And I, I checked in with him recently, and here's his answer about aggressive agreeability. I said, Bud, I worked with you for 15 years. I worked with Jay Graves for 15 years. So Bud Albrecht, fifth, first 15. Jay Graves last year, 15. And amazingly, Dean Osborne for a couple of years some bike rack in between. And he's the guy that taught me retail and professionalism and using technology. He was a retailer first, bicycle guy second. But holy moly, he built a beautiful store. But anyhow, I called Bud. I said, I got to get it from your mouth. How come when I was there in all the world where we say, you know, sometimes you have to fire a customer and, you know, the customer, you know, they were just riding along and they're, they don't know nothing. I never saw you disrespect anybody, bud, and I never saw you say, get the heck out of my store. I never want to see you again. He goes, oh, yeah, you just never argue with people. If you argue with somebody, they get mad and you get madder. <laughs> it's just like, we're trying to get hired. Don't argue with people. Even scientific argument feels like argument, Fred. Well, something bent the hanger. The law of physics indicate otherwise. A force acted upon another force, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't know all that stuff, but something Newton would have something to say about it. People don't care about what Isaac Newton knows and what the whole, you know, reasonable scientific world knows. As far as they were concerned, they were just riding along. So I'm going to agree with them and say, yeah, that's how it is, man. You're just riding along and you're just going into low gear or something. Were you doing that? Because it's horrible. This is a catastrophic deal, and I'm sorry it happened. But you know what? Sorry it happened. It's a bunch of BS, Fred. You know how my stand is on the hanger, don't you? The hanger <laughs> illustrates everything. If, if a customer bends a hanger catastrophically and destroys the derailleur, it's your fault as the dealer. And if they did in the right dealership, they would say, you know what, Fred? You were right. The bike only fell over in front of the coffee shop. I didn't check for the scratches like you taught me. Doggone it. And it was shifting funny, like you told me. And doggone it, Fred, when I went into low gear, it went into the spoke just like you told me and destroyed it. This sucks, Fred. I'm sorry it happened. And doggone it, you told me. And you also told me it wasn't going to be warranty, Fred. So here's the deal, Fred. I'm kind of screwed here. I have this brand new bike. Do I have to pay full retail for everything? Is there anything you can do? Can you talk to these people and help me get a better buy on a frame? Or can you help me find a repair source or something like that, Fred? Because I know it's not warranty and I'm not asking you to eat it. But could you help me? Fred, honestly, answer that question as a human being. Could you? Would you do that for me? Would you well, advocate I, for me? You know, <laughs> would you go? Yes, you know, we'll help you, customer. Say, hey, we will help you. We're here to help. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like, hey, but that doesn't happen. Instead, we make fun of them because they were just riding along. But when a hanger bends and allows the derailleur to go catastrophically and the spokes and then the rotational force destroys, you know, the hanger, sometimes the frame, sometimes the wheel, that is an avoidable situation that has a cause and effect. It doesn't just happen riding along. You know, okay, it feels like that to the client and you have to honor that. So it's always like honor the feeling spread. The aggressive agreeability is if, if the customer is mad at the bike or if they're mad at the company, get mad with them, that first sets the alignment that they know that you care, that like jeepers, yeah, I want to, this sucks. <laughs> I want to get back on my bike. I agree. We have loaners. We can get you going. And let me deal with the baloney of the dealership. You know, it's usually not covered under warranty, but let me go to bat for you, right? 
the words that you choose, I could never illustrate this well enough in my seminars. I patched together while having a busy, crazy life. Professional service writers, professional mechanics, serve the client, yeah. not the brand. The mission is the customer. Everything else follows from a well-served customer. Don't chase the yeah. money first. Serve the customer yeah. and the money will follow. Does that make sense? And, and, uh, and the other thing is, you? correct, but don't serve the customer in the standard fashion that is the rule. Each client has to be viewed as a, if you want to survive in today's retail establishment, each client has to be completely hand curated. Fred, I went in to buy a tube at my local dealership and took to my new farm in Washougal, Washington. I call it the No-Fi Ranch. I got a little half-mile mountain bike loop I do each morning, and I walk the dog in my stream, and it's wonderful. And the retail there is actually pretty darn good because they know it's a small area, and they can't screw up because it's small towns. So I've had some pretty exceptional experience. But I went in to get a tube from my mountain bike because I have thorns on my property and I'm fixing flats all the time. And, and as a professional, you should know, even as millions and millions of flats that I've fixed, they all suck, and they're a massive, massive barrier to getting on a bike and riding for anybody, for me or for anybody. My crippled hands, I think about the pain, the changing tubes, and I haven't done it millions and millions of times. But anyway, I go to a local bike shop, and I want to buy a tube. It's not one of them slime-filled tubes. <laughs> and he says, and I want the fattest one I can because I don't like them suckers stretching out. And I kind of gave him some specific information. And I said, I want to buy some SVD mountain tubes, size 41 with some standard cleats. Not SPD, but that brand, but that type of, you know, like a mountain feet shoe, a different brand. I won't mention brand. He did it, and I said, I like the cleats roughed in. And I said, I really appreciate the threads grease, but I really want those countersunk bolts. I want the countersunk areas grease, because that's the part that's all creaky when you try to break it loose five years from now in Oregon dust. So it was fun, because they said, that's how we do it. And they were really agreeable, right? And then the best thing was, Fred, you won't believe the bike they had in the store. A chrome BMXer with gum grips and pure gum tires right? You get the picture of where they're doing that, where the gum rubber is. Remember like the brake hoods of Diacomp and Campagnolo? <laughs> it's like that kind of gum rubber on the tires and the grip, and it had a free coaster. And I said to the young man on the floor, I said, is that a free coaster on the $509.99 bike? He goes, yep. So they've never rode one. Can I, can I have to get it down? Can I try it? He said, yep. He got it down and I played with it. And you can kind of tell, I was like, oh, that guy can kind of sit on a bike a little bit. You can kind of tell that I knew a little bit about bikes. And so then I said, what about this one bike here? And I said, I want one of those modern mountain bikes. Because I said, I just have a lot of reasons why I want one of these. Do you have one of these in a small? Because, you know, I'm a midget guy. And so he said, no, but I can get one. I said, I'd like to get one of those. <laughs> so I just bought a bike, $4,300, tax included, all in for everything and all kinds of cool stuff at full retail because he deserved it and that shop earned it and it was warm and inviting and welcome and clean and the restroom was perfect and there was clean fresh water to drink and he was nice and he didn't dampen my enthusiasm one bit but only allowed it to happen and that's what you can get from a tube to a multi-thousand dollar sale and i'd have never done it never done it had he raced some attitude <laughs> you know but it was beautiful. I couldn't believe it, Fred. Now I got the super boingy bike with the dug gun dropper seat post. I love those things. <laughs> They're the best things in the world, folks. You get yourself a BMX park riding bike in one second and then a, like a massive turbocharger climbing unit in the next because I got some gravity in my new place. Holy smokes, I'm at 600 feet in 2.4 miles. I can be at 1,500 plus. 
<laughs> and it's just so steep. That, yeah. Anyhow, I'll, I'll talk about that later. But see, that's a new experience that's available to me. So because of my bicycle addiction, which this is where we can grow our business with clients specifically. You want to really do some humding and top of the line business, get people hooked on different types of cycling and running around on two wheels, three wheels, four wheels. I don't care. Cause you know what I cried out loud, Fred, when I was climbing the first time on my property is it got some clear cut and different prairies and stuff. So on the boat, I call it sun prairie, which is a 250 steps to the steepest part of my property. So it's just like eight floors of climbing. And I was going up there on my mountain bike in the lowest year as hard as I possibly could. And when I tipped over as a 58 year old duffer, <laughs> the steepest part of the hill, I cried out two words, lithium ion. Because we need to embrace <laughs> everything that's available to help people have a stoked time. Because if you weren't at my level, in my property, in my area, you would never think of riding a bike. Because it's as hard as it can possibly be for me to go up four pitches on my road straight up without switchbacking it. In the lowest year of any bike I got, the lowest triple, the new 12 on the back kind of a deal. And that experience is available to me. And you know, then when I played with that free coaster, do you think in the back of this old BMXer's mind, I'm going to wonder what it would be like when I'm bored in my shop or trying to think of a problem of tooling when I rally around my shop with a BMX bike? Wouldn't it be kind of fun at 58 years old to learn how to go backwards on a bike? Because the free coaster bike lets you do it. And I could watch some YouTubes and dink around and then have, you know, minor blunt trauma injury like usually happens on BMX bikes, but I don't want that anymore. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, so here's the other thing with aggressive agreeability and like it's mainly like trying to get hired <laughs> don't forget that you're trying to sell your services you're trying to sell you because the internet has all this other stuff available but what i got at this shop you wouldn't believe it the first time i butt my bed in the brakes i said uh-oh we got this huge disc on the back i don't know why they put some 200 and some millimeter disc on the back of this monster mountain bike so it had a sickness anomaly. So it would just grab. And I thought, well, maybe we got pine sap. Maybe I bedded it in wrong. I'm trying to give benefit of the doubt to the company. It's like two hours on it. So I went to the shop and I said, hey, I need to have you guys warranty this. Because they know who I am now. And they, oh, I never told you that. <laughs> they figured it out at a certain point. There's three guys in the shop. It felt so good, Fred. Because in the old days, you know, you'd go into a shop and you get disrespected to some bald middle-aged guy. And they think, God, you're a bike guy. I, I know something about bikes. Huh? <laughs> I, I have this whole situation. But they were really cool. And he, after a while, he goes, he said, I figured it out. <laughs> and then the guys in the back came out. They had right arm plants in their shop. That was really cool. But I didn't come in and say, hey, I'm this guy and that guy, and I'm looking for a bro deal. And I said, I only have two rules when I shop at the local people. I, hey, I've got full retail for everything, and I don't ever expect free labor or anything like that. I pay full price on everything. Because as a community member, that's great. Because we live in a state where we have a no-tax state right across the river. So in Washington, you better darn well be on your game because you got to you punish the client or not punish. The client has beautiful roads and whatever we have in Washington because there's some sales tax. So it's dutifully collected over here, but you can go across the river and not have it. Well, if I choose to shop on this side, I better get something more for it, right, Ben Fred? Oh, man, I'm happy to pay the tax because I don't have to go into the city and back across the state line in a ridge that clogs up a little bit. And I can have an experience. And you know what? You know what he said as I left here? I said, I love you guys. I said, I got a local bike shop now. And he said, consider it your third space or something like that. What them modern youngsters would say, you know? So I go in there now and steal their water. And <laughs> now I know I need an extra large helmet, you know, so I can stick a stocking cap under it. 
And they hooked up this brake pad problem, the brake disc thing, and they did exactly what I wanted. I said, that's too big of a rotor for a two-wheel vehicle. Give me something smaller. And there was a cool spacer under the caliper, and they said, you can, I said, can't this come out and do that? And they said, yes, it can, Brett. Blah, blah. Do you care if it's a different brand? Heck no. I just want to go. And they said, yeah, here's this one, 180, boom. And now I'm really happy with the rear brake on the bike. Because when you're going down the steep pits and your brake is grabbing, you lose all your security because you don't want to skid the tire. And all of a sudden now it's skidding every time it rotating around. And, you know, the thing about middle-aged guys that is important, middle-aged gals or people that as we age, it isn't about guys, please. But it's like the older we get, the higher the consequence. So to support people, we have to enhance their skills and understanding of the vehicle as an obligation. That's part of the safety package. In other words, yeah, you do the work, but then a human has to operate it and it's not you. Those are some fundamentals, right? Have your work checked by someone. And the best test writer in the world is the client. You know, if you have a critical situation, I always would invite the client on a scheduled basis to come on in and say, hey, come on in with your gear and your stuff and let's go for a ride. I'll buy you a coffee. Because Doug on this creek would drive me crazy too, lady. Let's get to the bottom of it, right? And it's just a little lubrication under the cleat. You know, it's just a little lubrication under the cleat. and She's willing to do it and it's done because we did it together with her shoe on her bike, see? And that's what it is. And when you have a victory like that with a client, they just, you own them. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like you own their safety and their experience. And you get to like say, how do you feel? What is the maximum experience for you? I never want to go over 30 miles an hour down a hill. Well, we're going to make sure your brakes are top of the line because you're going to ride them. Now, remember this. You don't have to do two at once because if your hands both get cold and you can't do nothing, you might not be able to stop. So figure out a way to, you know, just use one for a while and then the other to kind of give one hand a break and a shake, you know, but never be caught with a hand that's too cold to just grab a brake and stop if you need to. But you keep using those brakes down the hill because if you don't like going over 30, you don't like going over 30. Now, you know me, Fred, that's just a little blip when I'm on a hill. It's fun and exhilarating to go fast down a hill, but it's not my duty to try to transfer that enthusiasm to other people, right? That's not right. how yeah, we it's operate. It's professional. My duty is to say, if you're scared going down hills, it almost makes me emotional because you could get hurt. Have you signed up for Ride It Daily Extended Service yet? What are you waiting for? It's the extended service plan for your customers that pays you your shop rate for extended service and warranty claims. Rides is only available to NBDA members and it's only available at nbda.com. A good question for you, Brett, would be, you know, as a service rider, as a bike retailer, you have all sorts of people, all sorts of experience level, all sorts of attitudes, good and bad. You have said in the past, stop thinking that customers are doing something wrong even Correct. when they Correct. are. It's your Correct. job to manage Correct. feelings and to deliver yeah, the best sure. possible interaction. It's not your job to be yeah. right. Yeah, here's a good example. Like words matter. And one of the little word tracks I've never perfected, but here's as good as I've got. So let me let you in on a clue about shifting because I've really struggled with shifting myself until I found out the one thing that's an absolute fact. If it makes noise, it's something I'm doing that I might be able to and probably can do differently to not have noise. And I can be highly interactive with what's going on precisely when that poor chain is being asked to ram from one Ross rocket to another. It's tricky. 
and it takes technique and understanding. But doggone it, every time mine makes noise, I'm a kind of a gearhead. I can trace it back, I promise, scientifically, to some little tiny thing that I could have timed differently or pushed a little this way or that way a little better. And it kind of sucks, but it's just part of the game. And nowadays, it's a lot less of a problem because let me tell you this, we can make it a lot less about finesse than we could before because we have some really terrific shifting vehicles nowadays. So it's easy to deliver a precisely shifting vehicle provided, you know, hangers are straight and things like that. You've suggested never argue. So that raises the question to me, what do you consider arguing? What is arguing? Arguing, let's start in the kind of, in the way arguing should exist, in the scientific argument, right? You know, a hanger, a titanium hanger takes 70 kilograms of force to bend. That force comes from somewhere. Isaac Newton says so. You wrecked it. You were not covering it. Right? It can be that simple, Fred. That's the truth. The company's not going to warranty it. You know, and the way I know it took 70 kilograms of force is when I knew that how fun it was to be a, a garage style inventor and meet the engineering team. I met some guys at Shimano and I said, yeah, I invented a derailleur hanger that they patented and it ultimately. And they, I said, this titanium hanger takes a lot of force, so the tool has to be strong. And the engineer from Shimano said, yes, 70 kilograms. I laughed. I don't know how he knows that, but it's mass and respect it. Don't be a, you know, buggering up. So arguing even scientifically, like, well, something bent it, lady, <laughs> you know, and it's not covered. <laughs> We're still not going to cover it. <laughs> Whatever, you know, none of that stuff matters to someone. So, but arguing would be, well, you, anything that makes them feel bad. Oh, here, let's put it this way. It's all about feelings for me because I'm trying to get hired and nobody wants to give money to someone that's mean to them or not nice and inviting and helpful. So instead of like defining what arguing is, just say, I think I can kind of sum up how a bike shop interaction should be. If someone walked in and you're, you know, like... I was playing with some ladies that I was with, two ladies that one of them is 50 and they're a sister similar age. And I said, okay, you two ladies walk in the bike shop. What's going to happen? You know, someone might say, oh, you need a cruiser or a hybrid or whatever, you know? And yet I say, how did they not know that you were like near bronze level, you know, swimmer or, you know, downhill mountain bike camping? Because you just can't guess the people by, that's the first thing you never, ever, ever do, ever is guess people, you know, uh, wrong. Because I went into a, I'll name the names of the bad ones, Fred. <laughs> I went into an Italian motorcycle dealership that's very famous. And I was really curious about the Dionysi or some other brand of uh, airbag, you know, suit, full airbag suit for a motorcycle. And you know how I am on motorcycles, Fred. <laughs> I, I got a few of them. <laughs> Me and Fabio, he's down the gorge. That's my big joke. He owns a property about 30 miles from me. Hey, he has a lot of motorcycles too, but, but I was under this suit in this fancy dealership. It cost $5,000 that I probably could afford. I wanted, and I heard a compelling argument, and it meant that EVT could go on in case I off on one of my machines. And an airbag could maybe save me, and some guy sells me that argument. I would have bought it that day. But instead, I saw the parts guy flirting with the espresso lady. And then I stood under every gleaming Italian jewel with the halogen lights, beautifully, you know, illustrating middle-aged guy, you know, six-figure income, finally, 
nobody even talked to me. Not even once. I went to everything. It was like, I went, now and then it became an experiment of ignoring. It's like, you know, I wonder if they would know. And then I had already driven up on an exotic Italian motorcycle, brand new. I'm interested in this stuff, you know. But yeah, zero points for them, you know. And, you know, I had a heating and air conditioning person out where they first started doing what I call like chopping the tree down one branch at a time. I walk up and he's randomly showing me the ohms output on the start capacitor for the compressor on a brand of heat pump that's the cheapest on the market. I just kick it the garbage and buy a new one. So he's doing that. I think, why are you doing that? And then he was checking the fuses on a 220 line. Well, if it was running and it's 220, even one fuse out, it wouldn't have been running. So why are you checking the continuity on the fuses? And he was training some young guy and they were 15 minutes early. That made me mad. They said at 843 or 743. They said, is it okay if we come early? And I said, well, how early are you saying? Quarter till. I said, that means you're in my driveway and I'm in my row. You know, that's how they started it off. Be on time. Keep your word. Be simple. And then ask people what's important to them. Ask people where they are on the scale. Say, hey, thanks for coming in, female clients, middle-aged not racer body style. I don't know nothing about you. I don't care about your gender or nothing. Because guess what? You're a hominid that's going to be dinking around on two wheels or three wheels or something. And I don't know nothing about you. But I know a lot about bikes and this kind of stuff and XYZ. And if you need some help with it, by golly, I'm the person right here to do it. So yeah, instead of arguing, it's like aggressively just say, hey, thanks for coming in. Retail's tough these days. We have to make an impression on people. How can I just get right down to it and listen to you in a way that's meaningful and efficient and can help you accomplish your goals? Now, I know that's too cheesy and too canned, but that's what they should feel, right? That's what I'm trying to push for, well, is the feeling. Is that, that's yeah, what gets and, and, and I think, yeah, you've given some talks on uh, words to use. Do you have any words to use, words not to use? Sometimes, well, you know, you don't want to just, someone's, has a need and you don't know much about them, are there some good words or ways to get into a conversation to know more about their needs? Fred, Fredette, <laughs> <laughs> you bring a bike in, it's just like, hey, let me get the, first of all, I tell the salespeople in the store to be scanning the parking lot and they even remotely see someone coming in with a service bike. They dang well better get off of that internet and run out there and say, I'm looking for an excuse on this beautiful sunny day to get outside. Can I give you a hand with that? If you're taking it to service, I can guide you to that awesome team and they're ready to help. See, this has got a sticker on it from our store. Is that, did you buy it from us? Yes, I did. Awesome. Well, thank you. And can I help you with that? Getting in, is you okay with that? Sure, sure. Hey, and next time you load this in your trunk, if you don't mind, I'll give you a piece of foam that we use in the that bikes compact with. And, and we could put that on the lip of the trunk right here. And then that would keep it from scratching the bike, you know, for the occasional hauling of a bike. If you do it a lot, you know, you probably would invest in a car rack eventually or immediately, whatever, you know, but we're not talking about that just a second. Let's get this bike in, you know, talk to the service folks, you know, and say, Hey, tell me a little bit about it. You know, what's going on? You went into the trouble getting your trunk, doggone it. Wouldn't you rather be out riding it? Well, yeah, well, I was riding along and it had this and this and this, right? Well, doggone it. Let's get that right in. And if it's anything major, let me just tell you how this works. 
we can do most of this stuff. Since you got it from us and it's under this, you know, generous little situation, we really are committed to getting everybody back on the road as fast as possible. We don't care about the rules of 30 days this, 90 days that, two years and this. You want to ride? We are the barrier removal force. If it has to leave here, I want you to know we even have loaner bikes available. If you have a routine, some people have a routine. We'll make sure it doesn't get interrupted. If you can live without it and you got others, it makes it easier for us. So we'll figure this out. Now tell us what's going on and let's see what we can figure out, right? You asked about words. You know them, right, Fred? Let's and we. Oh, yeah. Not I and them. And the other thing that I really would like, whenever I talk about some little lesson that I learned, I will respect the brand if that's okay, right? Because in the 60s, Schwinn had a, a neat program that in one of their books, you know, we could hear better if we got, you know, fresh in the horse's mouth. But to summarize, they said, when you build your service department, make sure that the service area is elevated so when the client's bike is presented into a work stand, it is at an elevated level, so it's respected and important. So words matter and little teeny details matter. Like, don't you ever hang a bike on a saddle nose in my store if you're a professional, because that's not professional work. You could damage the bike, it could fall off, but you expose everybody to a lot of risk because you're doing a lazy procedure because you're not clamping the vehicle securely. Imagine in the BMW dealership, is you know, we can teeter these cars on one forklift, Fred, check it out. I just shove a pallet under here and I can get that BMW lifted with this forklift. Is that gonna inspire confidence with the client? No, you know, it's important to show them some respect. And if the bike's not worth fixing, you know, remember, skit I would do in my seminars where we just lay the magna or the pacific down on the floor in front of the service counter with both of us shaking our head at it like it's roadkill would that ever feel good to anybody regardless of their station in life or the bike no show them some respect and say would it be okay okay there's a Pete Blotnick one I'll give him I can give you some great things from A to Z and there's the Z Pete was the master saying it would it be okay if we put your bike in the stand. And when we do, because of these type of clamps that we have, we have to change your seat height to not hurt the frame or the beautiful paint here, because we want to carefully approach how we touch your product. So the other thing about words is they have to be based in extreme respect for two types of property, Fred. Both physical property of the bike, it's theirs. You don't have permission to touch my bikes ever, ever. You know that mountain bike that I dragged to the trade shows, Fred? The only mountain bike I made for me was the decal that says Brett Fleming on the seat. And, the, and back in the old days, I clamped a million times on the seat tube and ruined the seat tube decals pretty good, right? But there's still some stubbins of Brett Fleming on there when I built that baby in 1983, and I still ride it today. Well, if I sent that to a shop and they grabbed my already ruined decals and ruined them more ruineder, that's going to really hurt my soul because they don't have a right to. It's my property, you know? So that's how you have to have extreme respect for property, even the Pacific and the Magna. Oh, there's another line, right, Fred? This bike ain't worth fixing. Here's the interpretation. I bet this bike's got a lot of stories to tell, enthusiastically presented, right? And then would it be okay if we put it in the stand and had a look and see if she's totally a goner or not? Sorry for the she part. You see what I'm saying? Let's look at this together. You and I both know this bike is dead. Can we bring it back to life in a way that works 
for both of us and is reasonable, right? Because I'm here to sell you service. I'll take your money all day long to fix this family heirloom. Hey, Fred, remember, what, you know what the question I ask at every seminar? These are fun words. Every bike mechanic's horror, what we wake up at night, you know, the rusty magna from the beach house <laughs> that grandpa used to ride the dogs around the cul-de-sac. See, we didn't know that, right? So, you know, the rusty magna from the beach comes in and us bike mechanics are looking at that bike and we all say, I don't want to work on that one. I don't want to work on that one. <laughs> Just a junker, right? Like a dead, terrible bike that's not worth fixing, allegedly, right? So they come in and they have all three other shops in town said, that's not worth fixing, you know? So they finally bring it into my shop and they say, hey, we want to get this thing tuned up. And I say, yeah, all right, let's take a look at it and see. It's pretty rugged shape, as you obviously know it. Hey, here's the deal. We can fix this up to any level, you know, because my job is to sell you service. What's the story on the bike? You know, tell me why you're, you're requesting the service first, because I, I want to make sure that I recommend something, if you want my recommendation, that's appropriate to what you've got going on. Instead, I get to say it's not worth fixing, and they say, well, my dad died, and uh, he had this bike at the beach house, and we always told him he was going to get killed on it, because we told him to get a dang tune-up on it. And we know it's not worth anything, but his dog's still alive. And it likes to go on the same ride in the beach house, uh, you know, condominium complex deal. And we thought, hell, we'll die if we ride the bike the way dad did. So can we at least pay these guys to make it so it can stop and let the tires hold air? So we can take old breaths around the neighborhood one more time. So I get emotional when I tell that story because don't mess with people's property. That's emotional, that's right. mental, that's physical. And there are so many blessings available to us if we say, you know what, we can never make these brakes safe, but if we put new ones on it, it will be safe. Okay, we don't care. It's dad's bike. It's $400 in that damn Magna. We don't care. Don't you tell me I can't have my dad's bike to ride my damn dog around my neighborhood. Do you see how it needs to be handled sensitive, but you can just so destroy somebody? by disrespecting them and their property. So find out what the story is. And if it's beat to death, just say, I bet that bike's got a lot of stories to tell. How did you ride it that far without crashing into something, man? That's what I say to the BMX riders or something like that, right? You gotta get enthusiastic about it. It's like Pete Zlotnick was another, he mastered another thing, getting rid of the known time wasters. You know, the guy that has the 34.9 derailleur and he wants to trade it for your 31.8, but you already manage your inventory and you have what you need, right? You have the derailleur he needs. It's 40 bucks. Oh, but uh, I only paid 30 for this one and, and can't I just trade it? And Pete would say, well, no, our inventory is managed different than that, but here's what we can do. I've got this one here. It's 40 bucks. I'll put it on the shelf back here, and if you need it, you just holler. In the meantime, I'm gonna get back on this because this customer's gonna be back for it. He turned his back, smiling, and walked away from the guy. The guy's a deer in the headlights, and I'm watching my company resource payroll being used appropriately, because I want his payroll to go to the person that's paying us, and I want him to process clients as efficiently as possible, and if there's never gonna be a deal, that's how it's gonna be. There are really nice ways to handle it with this hyper enthusiastic smile. Well, and then he would finish it off by, and that's what we can offer. Well, I have it on the shelf, it's 40 bucks. In the meantime, I gotta get back to this repair and that's what I can offer, thanks. 
turned around, walked away. And then the guy just has to make a decision. Am I going to buy the trailer that's 15 feet away and pay the extra 10 bucks, or am I just going to continue to irritate people in the world for that $10? And if he's that kind of a client that'll irritate the heck out of someone for $10, then maybe we don't want him, but we can do it differently, can't we now, Fred? Didn't that seem like, the way Pete did it was like, you'd just be like, he's so nice. And that guy's gone. And he usually hangs out for half a day, pumping information and distracting the can. So we have that obligation. We have that obligation to make sure that the time we're billing our bosses for is given a good return on investment. How did I have a fun career? Not by being a bicycle lifestyle. I had a fun career by being the person that at 3 a.m. for three millionaires would be the guy that could staple the plywood to the window of the broken out store. The guy that could write the check to the painting company because some guy clamped the stand on the guy's seat tube for $1,800 cycle art super restoration job. Whatever, right? That's who I always was. So when it came to words, they always matter because on my texts and my emails, when you, know, when you have a lot of people interacting with a lot of people. Now, if I say that we fell short at, you know, at some of these operations I work at, it's because, well, at Bike Gallery, for instance, I facilitated the assembly of 10,000 bikes per year and 10,000 repairs per year. So yeah, it's hard to sleep at night sometimes. Are those brakes this tight? You know, is this tight? Is that tight? It's all I think about at night. That's just like the stress of the service manager. Is this tight? Is that tight? That's all I think about at night. You know, one of our mechanics forgot to tighten the guy's crank bolt properly. And it was left on the bench or something. He tightened it and then pulled it out for some other reason. He races up to the race site. Says, I got to tighten this crank bolt on your bike. I got to put this bolt back on your bike. The arm was on. And he somehow had the bolt on his bench. And the guy goes, so race. Fred, the crank fixing bolt. But somehow it was tight. The crank was tight. And then he pulled it off for some reason. So anyhow, he gets up to the race site. He said, I got to put that bolt in. He goes, oh, cool. I got plenty of time to finish my race. And this crank is stuck on there. <laughs> it's just beautiful, but terrible. Oh, and I wanted to say, so words matter. Yes, they do. And the other thing is we have to be hyper able to use our words to just invite people into a great experience. Me and John Friedrich, you know, with this little, you know, entity stokecraft are trying to figure out how to, like, hey, we're in charge of helping people have an experience, you know. Like, I have a million dollars that one of these days on a nice sunny day, I'm going to take that free coaster bike down off of the display at my local bike shop. And the owner, Jeff, is going to say, take it for a day, Brett. Because <laughs> I take it to the 18th Street Skate Park. There's a skate park in my neighborhood that is like world class. And I would pump around there like a middle-aged guy. No one would know that, would they? Would you know that a middle-aged guy workout best ever is get a super-duper park-style BMX bike? And just go rocking in a bowl of a skate park for a while. Just pump up and down the walls. Half an hour, that's better than any stupid, you know, Stairmaster machine and a glass-lined exercise place that smells like people's armpits. I'll take outdoor on a bike anytime. <laughs> and there's so many experiences to yet have, Fred. I haven't ridden a fat bike on sand. haven't ridden a fat bike on snow. I haven't ridden a track bike on a track. Right? And so that was what I was going to say. If we can facilitate Stoke at all these different levels, like, hey, road bikes are cool, too. You know, I live in a motocross like super town, Washougal, Washington, where my little farm is, has the Washougal Motocross Nationals. I'm really into motorcycles, too. And I'll have the motorcycle guys train on bikes. So it's highly respected. And, and you just have to, you know, to push on the pegs and do what you need on a motorcycle. Where are you going to get that beautiful 
exercise, you know, so I'm having fun riding bikes and motorcycles in this wonderful area. And as soon as I moved to my farm, I wanted a new mountain bike with a dropper post because technologies are weird, Fred. And I told these youngsters at the store, I said, you see these pedals on this bike? I couldn't afford DX pedals. And I got some current Saint pedals, which are kind of the same really low profile mountain pedals with all the pins in there and everything. And I also have these shoes called 510s. But here's the thing. They're usually for like mountain bikers that are serious with flat pedals with pins, right? And they're phenomenal. But here's what the kid said that was right. He said, with these shoes, it feels like lipless. And the young man was right. So then a middle-aged guy, of course he would want to buy the top of the line, you know, flat pedal type mountain shoe because they afford all the same things they do for the person looking for the high performance, but also protection and you know, the wonderful adhesion of the shoe to the pin. Fred, it's just so confidence inspiring. So the thing is, if you're a middle-aged guy like me that has a super fear of blunt trauma injury and concussions and stuff, I just, I want to know if there's something that I can get that can help me from having that again. So those are some fun things. And then why shouldn't you share that with every middle-aged person? If you have a bike, I don't care if it's your grand, if it's your mother, Fred, that's riding a bike to the store. I might not put the pins up all the way, but I, she says, doggone it, it's rainy here in Portland. My feet are always slipping off these pedals, and I'm a serious cyclist, and I never want it to happen again. Well, doggone it, maybe we could invite that opportunity, right? Like a guy like me, you'd never think that if I walked in your store, the bike that did it most for me was a chrome BMX bike with a free coaster and gum tires and gum grips. I would buy it instantly just for the look, but you'd never know that about a middle-aged guy. So that experience, it's the range of stuff that we want to share with our clients. Like, hey, no matter what you choose to do, we're going to honor it and support it, even if it's what we don't do. So for instance, at Bike Gallery, we were in a big, sophisticated bike town. Our clients, all people, and it's just weird. Um, there's so much knowledge and so much opportunity to dink around with bike shops. Well, we weren't particularly committed to doing a great job with recumbents because we knew we couldn't. We sometimes would bring some in, but it's hard when the staff, you know, universally aren't perfectly knowledgeable. So we very often did referrals to a place called Coventry. So we really, you know, did something like that. Or if someone needed, here's another wonderful thing. Like here's how you interact with another bike shop. A client needed a Campag part. So I'd say, hey, I'd call up River City. Hey, Brandon, do you have a certain, you know, spring for this particular thing? And he says, yes, I do. Can you please hold it for this client? And they come in. Yes, I can, right? And that's the kind of professional interaction I enjoyed for years. But when you do that for a client, but you also have it already set up at the other store with a friendly, agreeable person, you know, then they can maybe spend less time there and keep coming back to you. But, you know, it's so funny when I bump into Brendan because our careers spend like a long, long time together as big competitors in the same town, right? Top service managers of the top two shops. Every interaction I had with him was like that. And the way Dave runs his operation, it's just like so fun to see how different shops achieve success. And that's what's fun about bike business, Fred. However you're doing it out there is fine. But just here's the run rule. Don't be dirty. You know, can I talk about wiping pee drips, Fred? Tell me when it's appropriate. <laughs> Let me make a crazy statement. I wiped the pee drips off John Burke's toilet in his basement, and I've seen Mike Sinyard's bare butt <laughs> a lot. Wow. Now, how did that happen? <laughs> well, because, you know, I worked for a big Trek dealer, and, you know, I was able to enjoy some time in John's backyard, and he has a wonderful home on the lake. And just like any other place, when I went to the wonderful bathroom in the basement, I did my business and wiped off everybody else's pee drops. 
just like I would because that's how I live in the world. And, you know, and I don't care. And then Mike Sinyard, you know, when I did some consulting for Specialized, he was in that room riding them bikes like every single day, man, in that locker room. You know what I'm saying? Getting his shorts on and going for a ride, experiencing the product. You know, it's like, hey, let's not all fight. We can't all fight, you know, one the other. Everybody's on a mission. And guess what? The client don't know nothing about these fights, you silly people. You see what I'm saying, Fred? We can't identify with brands. We are not brand aligners. We say, here's the brands we have, and we've chosen them for these reasons. But once you get them, that's where we can really shine. Once you get this stuff. See, my job was always the once they have this stuff, right? It sucked. How did my skills grow? And how did I become a tool designer? Because I saw a lot of stuff getting ruined. I worked at a big operation. I saw way too many frames being clamped, way too many saddles being altered and hopefully put back. If you alter a saddle for the purpose of clamping, ask permission from the client first. Then when you do, ask them if the height they have is what is perfect and should we record it and, you know, make sure it's put back in place or do you need some help with that? Mm-hmm. Opportunity. So then, you know, the BS of having to alter a seat post for the purpose of clamping to protect the frame and the integrity of the finished surfaces is kind of a problem, but it should be handled first with permission. Then is it right? And then when you do raise it, turn it 90 degrees to indicate that it's been grossly maladjusted for the purpose of servicing, which is like a jacking point, you know, make sure that we put it back to where we got it and everything we touch, we should improve. A tune-up isn't a tune-up unless the plane bearing derailleur pulleys are swimming in oil and the little dust caps maybe sealed it in with grease. I required all that. I required a very high level of standard and all the work that was done under my care. You know, here's the thing. When it comes to like bragging, like who knows who and I, oh, I know this racer. I don't know any of the racers or nothing. I know all the business people. I've been to the giant factories and in two giant Phoenix and giant China factories in China. I've been to factories in Taiwan. I've been to, you know, so many Shimano factories and subcontractors in Japan. I don't know the celebrities like the racers, but I know the celebrity business people. Like I know how the stuff was made and what the barriers are. Here's the barrier. We never receive vehicles that are vehicles. They're just specs in boxes. And we're the ones that sign our names to vehicle. So respects to, to um, John and Mike, you know, two big guys, right? It was me that signed my name for them tens of thousands of times, right? It's like I delivered the vehicles and signed the name that these vehicles were safe and sound so that my bosses, my wonderful boss that really earned the success that they had were protected and insulated from needless mechanical and dangerous stuff. It's hard. It's hard when you have 35 mechanics, you know, through seven stores and, you know, like I say, 10,000 transactions a year. We did really darn good. We did really darn good. But when we failed, it was so avoidable right? Whenever we failed, it was avoidable, you know, and by failing, I mean, I had a practice where the third time in for the same problem, the client has to see Brett. So I was the general service and training manager for the bike gallery stores in Portland, Oregon. I started there in 99. It's a company that no longer exists. So I can talk all I want about it in the finance. I didn't find a non-disclosure that I can't. I'm not going to say anything too proprietary, but when I started in 99, the service department was just limping along at a quarter of a million. And then by the time I left in 14, it was 1.1 million with about a million dollars, you know, service payroll. So I felt really proud that we were able to cover the payroll in a service operation where the sales department, you know, gets what they get for free, basically, you know, assembly of a new product and, you know, support thereafter right? And the use of the service department in getting the, the new product out the door in other ways, you know, pre-delivery and post-delivery, stuff like that. So, but, so we just tried to make it legitimate up there. And you know what Jay did that was really cool when he hired me? I said, all right, 
99. I was, he hired me to turn that place around and it was fun because my first rule is say yes to everyone when I turn a service department around. I only did it twice for Gene in the bike rack in Omaha and for a uh, bike gallery in, in Portland. It's to say yes to everybody, enthusiastically so, and have a nice, clean, well-stocked restroom that isn't gross and try to have air conditioning that makes the climate more comfortable for the client. Those are the things I did in my life. You know, I gave a cool mechanic named JGT. The kid rotted his teeth out because he's a ding-dong BMXer drinking Dr. Peppers and stuff, made him look like a daggone mess. That is hard to get hired, even though he's the most amazing person in the world. For the client, like the most superstar, like if you're the client, JG's on you. Holy smokes, you're going to have an experience that's legit. Because the guy just lives and breathes bikes. But I said, dude, I want to get you hired and I want to get you on dental care and get some damn teeth because you're cheated out of so much opportunity because of that bias. You know, your smile, even though it's kind of, you know, not too great after 15 seconds, we don't care because of your life energy, blah, 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 but get that handled. So that's what I'm proud of, Fred, that I helped the mechanics get a set of teeth or, you know, here, my proudest moment in the world was this. And it was at some seminar I was somewhere for a company. And this young mechanic comes up to me who, you know those faces of the kids that have even lived on the street or whatever? They might be 32, but they look like they're more like 48, you know? Mm-hmm. He had a rough life, you could just tell. You know, drugs and street stuff at one point. Homelessness. This is the later story. But you can just read a kid's face, right? So he comes up to me all beaming, and he says, Brett, you changed my life. And I said, what do you mean? He said, I'm 32 years old. I support a deaf wife. And deaf people are discriminated against. It's hard for them to find employment. I'm proud that I can do that in the town I live. And we have a baby on the way. And I'm a successful bike mechanic with four years or so at this shop. And it's because of you. I said, what are you talking about, kid? He said, my bosses went to one of your seminars once when they were young, starting the business. And I remember them. Hadn't even opened it yet, but they were ready to. And they were bright-eyed and excited. And I said, what can we do? really be successful the best thing we can do i said find a mechanic even from an unlikely source like a maybe a high school dropout or that usually you want to have some follow-through but or maybe a kid that's had a rough life or maybe a bmx kid especially because if you find a bmx kid tight headset that's a good sign you know just an, even if from an unlikely source find them and develop them because it's going to take about five years and then when you lay down your head at night you know, them brake levers are tight. And, uh, you know, the brake band was tightened on the coaster brake. And, and that if you really needed to, someone would go staple a piece of plywood over the window of the store if you were in France riding your dream ride. Because if you invest in them, they'll have your back in a really great way. You know, they'll give you loyalty. And so they took that advice and hired this kid and developed him and buys him every tool he needs and gives him a good salary and benefits. And I'm proud of that. I don't know any fancy celebrities. I don't even remember his name, Fred. But there's the moment that I'd love to brag about that I convinced the shop to say, holy crap, these little dirt bags, <laughs> they got our back. Treat them with respect because they don't have any tools or engineering or nothing. They don't have vehicles with engineering protocol. We can't plug these into a computer. No one tested the drivetrains. The brakes freaked like crazy. Fluid squirts out everywhere or doesn't, you know, it's hard. We get no labor for what we do. We're scratching out there on our own. So give them every resource. Don't cheat them out of tools and equipment and 
availability of, you know, finding information they need to not screw up your customers' work. It's all about that. Like, you know what I'm most proud of is tens and tens of thousands of invoices where I took people's money under an official banner when the business hours were open as the representative of the top examples of the brands, you know, you mentioned, you know. I was the factory factory mechanic. I had dialogue, you know, with our biggest vendor for years and years with Jeff G. And it's like he knew who I was. He knew that if I presented something, I was competent. They didn't treat me terribly. They really, I knew that the company that I was dealing with back here in Wisconsin, it ultimately had the clients back. You know, they really hooked me up most of the time, like most of the time, doggone it. And then that was really awesome because then I didn't have to worry. The client didn't need to know whether I'd get hooked up on the backside. I just said, listen, we got to get you back out there riding again. You know, when I used to open up a training seminar at Bike Gallery, this would be like 100 people at the you know annual dealer, not that many, maybe 80, or whatever. And I'd get to say something. I'd say, who's the newest person here? Some poor little 19-year-old college student from Reed or something would raise her hand. Me. I said, do you know that right now you could, if a client needed a 62-centimeter high-end, you know, Dura-Ace-equipped road bike, because theirs or something even lesser was being warranted, you could loan him Jay Graves' bike, go to his office and just take it and give it to him. You know, that one that's signed by the, you know, most world-famous guy. You could give him that bike and loan it to him so he could keep riding to train for that ride that's important to him. Did you know that you're empowered to do that on day number one? No, <laughs> I said, Jay, is that true? And he shakes his head, yes. Because we had no funner time in the whole world than finding some crazy, ridiculous solution to keep that client going uninterrupted in an enthusiastic, supported way where we didn't make it hard for them, you know? But yeah, don't argue with people like say, hey, it's hard out there. Yeah, shifting's tricky. Shifting is really tricky. If you're open to it, I can give you some of the stuff that I learned to make it better for me anyhow. And if that works for you and you're open to it, I'd share that. Otherwise, you know, here's some things, you know, that I found on the bike because it isn't all about you. I found some stuff. Check this out. I figured out this cable tension here. Here's the thing, clients, everybody listening to this professionals. If a customer comes back to your store to turn an adjusting barrel to fix shifting, you are delivering a low, 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 low level of competence in your service department because that my friends notice the shape of it it's made for the client the adjusting barrel is made for us when i bought my bike the first thing i did is dink around with my reach adjusters on my four thousand three hundred dollar all track included retail mountain bike because i can't and i know that it needs to be you know so this stuff has to be you know carefully managed your nbda membership helps support bicycle retail radio Go to nbda.com to join or renew your membership today. Sort of a final yeah. question. I think we're sort of getting towards the end, but you've yeah. worked in a multi-store chain at the bike gallery. You've worked in other large stores. How do you so get they, buy-in? They, you mentioned you have training for your staff. You know, you have what? Bike Gallery had five or six locations, I think. And what do you do as a manager to assure that each of the locations, each of your people is kind of into what you're thinking and sort of up to speed? You fire the people that have ever had feedback that read like, 
I felt disrespected and not listened to. Because there's always going to be, you know, one or two of those that have been allowed to stay along too long because of competency. So at any given time, there were people, and sorry, folks, when you got fired, it wasn't a random event. It was with deep, heartfelt discussion and sadness. Sadness that people couldn't figure out how to engage with clients respectfully. But so I just tell stories, Fred, of how important this is to people. You know, like, oh, I'd love a whole thing where I could just tell the story. But you just don't know what a bike is doing for someone. So enthusiastically approach every single one as if they're the most important person in the world, that even the boss himself would come out and do this for you and make sure that it really was okay and wouldn't send a survey later, would be right at the table. You know, at Cabda, a couple of years ago, we went to this nice family Italian restaurant. Oh my gosh, it was neat. Because at the exact right point, the chef comes out and checks in with everybody in an earnest way. It was very interesting with tomato sauce all over his apron. And, you know, it was just so beautiful. And the way the waiter interacted with the disabled girl said, oh, would you like your, she said, you know, what would you like today? And she wasn't able to respond, the disabled girl. And so without a heartbeat skip, the server said, well, we'll give you your regular then. <laughs> and that was one that was like, perfect. Like, how can you be that good in so few seconds, you know? And, you know, and when, oh, here's the other thing. When a customer called at the same restaurant to the over busy server and said, what you put in the bag wasn't what I wanted. I want two soups, not a soup and a salad. And she had the order down and everybody knew they ordered a soup and a salad. But when he got home, somebody was mad and they both wanted soups. So in a microsecond, all she said was, no problem. I'll get the order in right away. <laughs> you know, no problem. I'll get the new order in right away. Like instantly, we're going to get you the food you want. We're not going to talk about what you ordered, whether you were right or wrong. And I asked her about it. And she says, oh, it's easy. You get into the people's, you see, this person wants to talk. This person doesn't want to talk. I said, no, lady, it's not easy. It's highly sophisticated, isn't it? And she said, yes, it is. It is. Some people want to be chatty, and some people want to get the heck out of there, right? And you have a respect to show, find out where people are. Hey, you know, I see, you know, one, another word track is, do you have any time constraints? You know, what are your turnaround expectations? Before we get started, we're a little busy. We'll have an option for you. We will have an option for you but maybe not the fullest option to get you back on the road. Does that make sense? Never say, we can't get that tune up. Sorry, go away. Are you kidding, Fred? The train wreck of that entire life of that human being that went through all of those things and through Sam's formula. Remember the time plus money equals J plus M. Like, hey, we're selling time and money, but we're selling joy and accomplishment and success that's delivered by the mechanic. So that was like a, a guy named Sam something or another from Minneapolis. He's a good kid. He said, Brett, after a seminar, you're missing one important point. He says, it's all about opportunity cost. If someone comes into your retail establishment, they've given up what this economist can measure as literally millions of other things. That's what I want to end this interview with thinking of is remember, if someone came into your store, they got daycare, they got parking, they got a scratch in their trunk from having to bring that damn thing back for a stupid adjusting barrel that you should have done. 
Are you kidding me? And empower them to do it. Say, hey, you can't go wrong with these suckers. Just grab one of these adjusting barrels and turn that sucker till it doesn't shift and then go back clockwise again and you'll be good to go. You know, or something like that. Some nice way of explaining how it works. You know, you'll be empowered. When I show people, in Cycle Oregon, I used to do these clinics, Fred. And when you show people that they themselves can adjust their shifting with a cable adjustment as simple as the barrel adjuster, I've never had a client that their bike mechanic told them that. Isn't that sad? They're out there riding, not shifting on a vacation because it's something they could just stop and turn something a half a turn and try it again and turn it another turn and try it again and probably be happy. And that's all we would have told them. So that's where the words matter is say, hey, where are you on the scale? Do you want any words or not? Because some of them don't want words. I want a tube, 599. You need a press developer or Schrader. You don't say, do you need Presto or Schrader? You can say, do you need Presto or Schrader? You know, the, the one like on the car or the funny one, right? You give them an out. You never put, that's another way you argue with people is you put them to all these tests. Is it Presto or Schrader? Mountain or death? It's hard. There's a lot of different sizes. Oh my God, I'll never shop there again. I would run out of that store. Like, why are you scolding me? I gave up everything in my life to come into a bicycle shop, which I love bicycles. Don't you? Why are you so mean to me? I'm sensitive. You know, it's easier. No wonder the youngsters do Amazon and click and ship. Retail is a bunch of mean people. In fact, Brett, one of the, on my notes here from one of your seminars was a quote, it is unacceptable to be a curmudgeon. And Absolutely. That was pretty good. But I guess we're pretty much done here. Uh, at least I've asked all that I have, you know, Brett Fleming, Efficient Velo Tools, email address, Brett with two T's at EfficientVelo.com. Brett's done uh, obviously speaking and consulting with retailers and uh, his tool business is what pays the bills. So thank you, Brett, for being here. Anything you wanted to add as we wrap up here? Hey, we're trying to get hired to help people have an experience that sometimes it's a practical experience and sometimes it's a joyful experience. And don't we owe it to them to just do a little bit of an interview? Like think of it as an interview. It's like, hey, you've given up a lot to get here. What can we know about you to make sure we deliver you a success? Because we've got a lot of stuff available. Even the boss's bike. I'm serious, man. If you need to keep riding, I'm going to take the boss's bike, dude. I mean, you just change it to the situation, right? I'd say, Jay, I'm going to take one of your BMX bikes. This kid's like just really addicted to riding. It's his medicine. He has ADHD and, you know, otherwise he'd be in jail. Now, who knows? Because you don't know that story, do you, Fred? That's the main thing. You don't know the story. Gently find out and respect people's property, both mental and physical. And say, hey, how can we succeed for you? Because I'd like to get hired and help you have a great bicycle journey or motorcycle journey or whatever it is, you know, a trike journey. I don't care. If I'm a service professional, I'm trying to get hired. And, you know, maybe I've tried to get hired in my own brain to facilitate a joyful experience of gliding through the atmosphere, carving a turn, running down a trail like an animal, feeling fast, accomplishing a goal, getting to work. It's all good, you know, and I was so happy to have procured that type of experience for so long. Oh, and here's the greatest thing. Bosses don't cheap out ever. And I never had to. I was fully empowered. Last story is a poor woman comes in with a custom bike, custom geometry, and she's like me, short. I understand short women's stuff a lot because I ride their bikes. <laughs> when I get to test them, they're the only ones that fit. 
So anyhow, she had this bike, and we had talked about tilt-flip overlap, and the bike cost about $3,500. This is a not expensive custom, but it's mostly the frame, but that's pretty expensive. So the tilt-flip overlap was such that she tried riding it once, and it scared her, and she became fearful of the bike and never touched it for two years. And she came into the store one day with the bike, and she was crying. <laughs> I get these folks, which is, I'm glad I get these folks, because that's serious business. And I said, hey, what's going on? Well, I bought this bike, and I'm spooked about it. I'm just never going to ride it. Even though I understood it had tilt-flip overlap, I didn't know what that meant. And it scares me, and I'm afraid of getting hurt. And I said, well, I'll give you all your money back. She said, what? <laughs> you don't have to do that. I said, yes, I do. Me and Jay don't want that out in the world. And if we blow you away like this and, and just give your money back and take this terrible, terrible feeling away, all I would ask is that you tell people how it actually went down. And then we can sell the bike and recover from it. So I can make that decision. And I was honored to have been empowered to be at that level in my career. Like, if you want to brag about stuff, I'm glad I could. And the one lady just changing her shifter angle 12 degrees completely remarkably changed her shifting after we'd struggled for five different visits to give her success. And when I went for a ride with her and with the same shift, and she goes, oh, my God, I can shift three gears at once. Like, heck, yeah, lady, let's go for it. And we went on a fun ride. And with that, I am smiling about what it was I did for a living, Fred. Thanks for allowing me this interview. And, and thanks, listeners. Yeah. And whatever, if you ask me, do listen to this. And I'm in a, such a joyful place. We're trying out a wonderful new employee. She has a neat little dog whose ear is bent down just to match our woofers dog here so i'm happy and it's sunny that's the other thing fred it's sunny and mount hood is out and it's just gorgeous so is there anything else i need to i'll shut up there you go no i think we're done thank you for it so thank you brett thank you nbda and i think we're out for today all right thank you so much this has been bicycle retail radio by the national bicycle dealers association for more information on membership and member benefits join us at nbda.com dot com.